Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. So Shalom from ancient Corinth, a city that is about 50 miles south of Athens and about two miles south of the Isthmus, which is uh, the land bridge connecting Peloponnesus in the south with mainland Greece in the north. We're in an amazing city that was located here and enjoyed that specific geographical location for so many different reasons. But of course, the main one is the fact that one side of the Isthmus is actually facing the west, facing Rome, while the other side of the Isthmus is actually facing the east, facing Asia Minor, facing Ephesus and all the other major cities. And basically, what happened is there used to be two major seaports on the two sides of the Isthmus, and one side will up will unload the cargo from the main ships and they would be dragged if they were smaller boats they would be dragged on a paved road to the other side to lo- to to just go back to sea uh, 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 to sea waters yet if they were big ships there was no other way but to unload from one ship and reload on another one and so you're talking about two major seaports that attracted commerce of of both sides of the ancient world of the time. You're talking about an attraction of both seamen, an attraction of of businessmen, attraction of travelers, and of course attraction also of people who are coming to worship the different deities that this particular city um, had temples for. Behind me is actually the remains of the temple of Apollo. If you remember, Apollo is the god of sun, the god of, uh, of, of the light, the god of poetry, the god of, of wisdom, son of Zeus, was uh, one of the most important deities in the Greek mythology, of the 12 most important deities of the Greek mythology. And it, in some sources, they say that he was also the god of prophecy mm-hmm. and the god of... Uh, yeah. of uh, so be, thinking about it, when Paul arrived in this area, this particular temple was already in ruins. And I believe that it used as a way for Paul to talk about the um, complete uh, uh, lack of worth of those gods, of those, of, of those things. Because, you know, at the time there was a gigantic golden sculpture of a pole that was standing inside that place. The city of Corinth's name was a synonym of corruption, basically. Not just corruption, but complete lack of morality and, and, and decency. Uh, we know that uh, the place itself attracted so many people, but from the wrong reasons. Apart from the fact that Corinth hosted 
the Isthmian uh, Games every four years and it attracted athletes and, and people that love sports. Uh, Corinth also attracted people who supposedly, under the guise of worshipping the goddess Aphrodite, used to come and travel up to the upper part to the Acropolis of Corinth, known as the Acro-Corinth, to visit a temple that had, hear me good, 2,000 prostitutes. We're talking about prostitutes, female prostitutes that basically gave sex services to people from all around the area and the fees that were paid to that to, to, to those women were basically offerings to the goddess or Aphrodite right here in that particular temple. In other words, the idea of going to the temple of Aphrodite and, and, and uh, sleeping with uh, a, a woman over there that is uh, a prostitute was for many a religious idea. For many it was uh, we are coming to worship Aphrodite, we are coming to contribute to Aphrodite's temple. And now you may understand what Paul meant every time he wrote about sexual immorality regarding the people of, of Corinth, both in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 20 and in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 20 to 21, Paul talks about fornication and Paul talks about prostitution, he talks about sexual immorality in complete conjunction to that which was going on here in the city at the time of Paul. And now we have to remember that Corinth's claim of, oh, excuse me, now we have to remember that the, the fame of Corinth in the Greek era was actually not the time of Paul. At the time of Paul, the city was amazing, don't get me wrong. But if you go back in history, you find out that when the Greek controlled this area, when they lived here under their own independence as a, their own um, empire, it was between the 11th and the 5th century BC that Corinth was so important. And that was the time that Apollo's temple was erected, and that was the time that Apollo's statue was still standing in this area. Well, of course, what we know is that the um, city of Corinth was the capital of the um, Achaean um, um, region that rebelled against the Roman Empire. And because of that, we know that the Roman emperors, once they made it to this place, leveled it to the ground and built a brand new city in the first century BC. So when Paul is coming to Corinth, it is not the famous Corinth of the uh, 5th and the 6th and the 7th century BC. It is now a Roman city that is situated right where the ancient Greek one was standing. Very few things are left for us to see today from the time of the ancient Greek ruling of Corinth, such as Apollo's temple. But we can find, of course, other things from the time of the Romans that were not less impressive, such as the marketplace, the Agora, which was larger than the one in Rome. It was uh, quite impressive. Our story from the scriptures takes us all the way to Acts chapter 18. We know that uh, Paul left the city of Athens. Uh, he preached there for a while, 
We know that he was shocked with the idolatry that was going on. We know that he managed to convey the message of the one true God through speaking on the unknown God to the people of Athens. And Athens, if I may say, was known for, for the classic um, teaching of philosophy and poetry. It was all about people coming to study. Athens, by the way, was the university of even the wealthy people of Rome at the time. If Athens was all about education, Corinth was all about the pleasure and the money. Corinth was the, almost in a way, the world to your face. And it's interesting because after preaching in Athens, the Apostle Paul traveled to Corinth as the first 18 uh, verses of chapter 18 um, uh, is describing and we know that it was probably after Antioch the most important city that Paul visited um, maybe of the exception of Ephesus and he stayed here um, longer than any other city we know of he stayed here the Bible says for 18 months. This is an amazing a year and a half. Paul stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. Both of them are tent makers that actually came from where? From Rome. The Bible says that they fled from Rome. We know that according to Roman historian uh, Suntonius, Claudius, the emperor, expelled the Jews from Rome in about 49 AD because the Jews were in a state of constant tumult at the instigation of one called Christos, <laughs> Christ. Very interesting. And so, although the golden age of Corinth was five centuries before Paul's visit, Corinth at the time enjoyed an amazing return to prominence during that first century. But remember, at the time, it is a Roman city. We have the biannual Isthmian Games that brought a lot of people to this place, second in importance to the Olympic Games in, in Olympia in Greece. We know that um, in honor of Poseidon, the god of the sea, and they of course relied on him being uh, right by the sea, um, these games were held. Um, we rediscovered um, more places and more things uh, um, that uh, where the starting gate for those races uh, used to be. And, and we believe that um, it's possible that Paul may have been present in one of those events because Paul knew about running a race. Paul knew about running tracks. And Paul also knew what the winner gets when he make it to the finish line. In fact, it's interesting because from Greek sources, we know that uh, it wasn't laurel that uh, uh, laurel wreath that the, the winner got here in the Isthmian Games. It's actually uh, wilted celery, of all things. And, and and the reason why it's interesting is because Paul refers to the the worldly crowns that people get as what we call corruptible crown. That is a corruptible crown, and that is of course in First Corinthians two, nine twenty four to twenty seven. We know that the Corinth also had a, a light industry of uh, manufacturing highly prized bronze works. We know that uh, it includes polished mirrors and, and 
maybe that could shed the light on what 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 and 2 Corinthians 3.18 were talking about. Now, Corinth, as we know, is the place where Paul has arrived. And, and we know that the uh, location south of the Isthmus um, was an amazing thing. Many people tried in their history to somehow cut or dig a canal in order to save the effort of, of having to unload and reload ships on the two sides. We know that basically um, uh, several people such as uh, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Caligula, all of these people considered making that um, uh, canal through the Isthmus. And we know that in 67 AD, right after the Jewish revolt in Jerusalem and Judea started, we know that in that time, um, probably about 15 years after Paul visited this place, Nero came to Corinth uh, to turn over a, a spadeful of soil in a groundbreaking ceremony for a canal. And we know that he brought um, um, with him Jewish slaves. The, the idea was to have Jewish slaves digging that canal, but the whole project was abandoned. And believe it or not, that canal that we see today, the famous Corinth Canal, the Corinthian one, was dug by French uh, engineers, by locals, uh, under the supervision of French engineers, um, in between 1881 and 1893. So, the city itself, as I said, um, we know that it flourished, and in the time of Paul, it was a very significant place. What kind of religion did Corinth have at the time? We know that um, the Corinthians, uh, you could find here cults and gods of Egypt and Rome and Greece, but the temple of Aphrodite on the top of that mountain, right behind me, uh, probably stood atop of all of them, both physically and, uh, and in, in, in the way of life of this city. They say that um, um, a thousand cult prostitutes continued to pie their profession in the city below. We can imagine that not only that which was going on in the temple was immoral, but the immorality spilled over even to the city itself. We know that uh, many of those women were actually sex slaves that were brought from other parts of the empire. And we even know of one account that uh, the winner of the Isthmian Games, the one who won the first prize basically sponsored 200 prostitutes for the uh, temple of Aphrodite. Women were almost a product that people handed from one hand to another and um, and of course it attracted um, if anyone found beautiful woman and she was taken in captivity that would be the destination. So for the men we, we know that um, uh, uh, Corinth was known as the place with the most beautiful women and of course with the easiest way to satisfy their um, desires. And so you understand now that in this context, Paul is arriving. As, and Paul is not uh, uh, anymore, a, a, um, I would say, um, naive to the culture of the Greek and to the culture of idolatry, yet still it was too much for him. So let's dive into the text of uh, 
Act chapter 18 and understand what happened in this place. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them, so because um, he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood is upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Eustus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So you would think that this is a very interesting mix of opposition and receptance and acceptance of the gospel by the head of the synagogue. And bear in mind, I've said that many, many times, Paul was in the mindset that it is to the Jew first. He was in the mindset that the revelation that he received regarding Yeshua, Jesus being the Messiah, is a revelation that he must carry first to the Jewish people. So he lands in the heart of the pagan world, in the heart of the pagan and the most um, corrupt, corrupt um, aspect of humanity. Yet he goes first to the Jewish synagogue and preaches there on the Sabbath day several times. And it was all about convincing them and reasoning with them why Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And in a very interesting manner, very, very interesting manner, we know that, of course, many opposed, but the head of the synagogue actually and his entire household accepted it. Now watch what happened. Now when the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Paul is arriving to a city that was either religious or completely immoral. There is really almost nothing in between here. Paul is arriving most likely to the most difficult mission field he can ever think of. Can you imagine? People are here either seeking their own righteousness or seeking to, to um, somehow fulfill the desires of their flesh. And it was all done under the religious um, facade of worshipping a female goddess known as Aphrodite. So think about it. 
Paul is arriving in this place. He's, ex he's already so exhausted from the Athens events. He's coming to a place where he goes to the Jewish synagogue. I believe that, you know, Paul is a human being. Paul is coming to a place where he is experiencing great opposition. And it's not easy to go to a place and to be attacked almost on a daily basis. And at some point, I believe that Paul in, his, in the flesh said, enough is enough, I'm out of here. Get me out of here. So many times we, we, get, we find ourselves in a situation where we think, uh, first of all, this is a filthy place, I would never be here. <laughs> if that's the case, you can imagine, we wouldn't be able to preach the gospel anywhere around the world. But the second is, so many times we think, oh, I've done everything I could, enough is enough, I'm out of here. And isn't that interesting? You're thinking about a place that at its peak had hundreds of thousands of people. Think about all those women that were locked up in, in places and they were forced to sleep with strangers every day. So think about the immoral people that lived in that city. And, and one would think that God is so fed up with all of that. And he, you know, there's always that image by other people thinking that God takes pleasure in destroying the sinner and destroying the wicked one. And it's so far from the truth. In Ezekiel 33 verse 11, the following thing he says, So th say to them, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? This was said to the people of Israel, but we know that this is the heart of God for all people. That no one should die or perish, but that all would live. And if eventually it's the choice of people to, to either believe in God and walk in His ways and understand their sinful nature or reject it. But the heart of God is not the killing of the wicked. The heart of God is that the wicked will come and repent and live. Choose life. Moses said, through the Lord, of course, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, here I put before you today, evil and good, death and life. Choose life. That's what God wants for people. And that's what God also wants for the city of Corinth, to choose life. And Paul had a bad day, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 I, I can, you know, I need to preach, but I, I, I have a bad day. And we all, we all have bad days, don't we? And so, in the next few minutes, we're going to look into what is it that Paul did and what was the heart of God for this city. So we understand Paul had a very, very bad day. We understand that he just heard from God the most uplifting message of all. I'm with you. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. In fact, stay here because you're here for a reason and for a season. I have many people in this city. And I'm thinking to myself, Paul must have been on his knees praying and asking God, am I needed here? Is my job done here? Maybe I should just go away. You know, when we're having bad day, that's probably what goes in, my, in our mind. And, and I'm, I cannot be but just reminded of 
Psalm 145 that says, uh, The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. And then he goes on and, and says later on that the Lord is righteous in all his ways. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So we see God was there, the uplifter and the encourager of Paul, when Paul needed that encouragement. We all have those moments, not only when we preach the word, but even in our daily conduct of life. But more so when we do the work of God, and trust me, if you do the work of God, expect some major opposition. And we know that. We know that because Paul said already in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, we're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He acknowledged that there are difficulties, but it's not over. In fact, he will move forward, he will go on, and he is drawing from the Lord himself his encouragement. This is so important. I don't know where is it that you live right now. And you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, there's, you know, my family, they're all immoral. They're, they're all not in the mindset of the gospel. My friends are so not in the right mindset. My, my, I don't know what you have in mind, what you're surrounded by, but trust me, none of you is surrounded by thousands of seamen that are looking for prostitutes. None of you is surrounded by people that are, are under the guise of, of worshiping uh, some goddess. They're actually sleeping with prostitutes and that are sex slaves in a big city, a prominent city. Someone described Corinth of those days as Amsterdam on steroids. Oh, wow. uh, and, and, and it's interesting because you need to understand that if Paris was the culture and, and passion uh, uh, capital of the Renaissance, then this was the one uh, of 2000 years ago. This was way more than Athens, way more than Rome. Rome was about power, Athens about education. This is about what? Money and pleasure and mostly satisfying your flesh. And you cannot run away from, from the understanding that this is where all of the um, flesh is, 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 is exposed in, in, in the most strongest way. And yet, I believe with all of that opposition and spiritual warfare, Paul understood that he needs to listen to the voice of God and not to the voice of men. It is so important that, that we understand that, that we, we understand that men will never give us the best advice. If I, I, I'm reminded of, of David running from Saul and hiding in the cave of En Gedi. And, and, and you know, King Saul was right there. He took off his sandals, he put his feet in the water, and, and David had the chance of his life to kill De, uh, King Saul. And his people said to him, the Lord gave him to you. Now, today, this is it, do it. They even use that, I call it Christianese. <laughs> Thus says the Lord. And they try to tell him, this is it. And David, not listening to men, even though they, they were his men, 
they were his best people. They were his protectors and they were his guards in a way. David knew that I need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And he never touched King Saul. He never did anything wrong. Far it be for me that I will raise my hand on, on, on the Lord's anointed. That's what he said. That's why God loved David so much. Because David did not rely on somebody else's opinion. He relied on God and on the Holy Spirit. And he was on his knees. He was praying. He was listening. And the Spirit of God talked to David every day. Go up, go down, turn left, turn right. Even in the most simple, practical things. And so Paul on, uh, in, his, in his bed is thinking to himself, I I'm done with this place. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And by the way, if you think that the little minor incident in the synagogue was, was hard or, or was dangerous, wait until what, you, you hear what happened right after. Right after. We know that in, in, in Acts chapter 18, right after this story, we know that it says in, in uh, verse 12, when Gileo was the proconsul of Achaia, which is the greater area of this uh, place, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. The judgment seat here, we found it. The Bema seat of Corinth, we found it. And that place is where Paul was brought to right before um, Gallio. And it's interesting because they brought him to that place saying, this fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> You're thinking about all the other gods that they have no problems with that, that worship. Think about it. If you're a devout Jew, okay? And Judaism, by the way, was a religion that was permitted. There is a, uh, there is a term that the Roman uh, 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 coined for that, a permitted religion. They, they allow them to worship their God. But the Jewish people, not even single time, came to the others and said, hey, Aphrodite doesn't exist. Hey, Apollo doesn't exist. Hey, there is only one God. Hey, you're all pagan worshipers. No. But suddenly, out of the blue, comes the one who is a Jew into their synagogue and preach with their scriptures and is telling them you're all wrong. The Messiah had come. He already came and his name is Jesus, Yeshua. And he fulfilled all the prophecies and all the promises that God had for all of you. And for that they take him. And before whom? That's why I remember Paul said, don't, don't prosecute one another in front of worldly powers. Paul is convinced that for us, the believers, we need to settle our things between ourselves. And yet you see that the Jewish people are taking Paul to be standing for a trial. And remember, God promised him something. Don't worry, I'm here. Nothing wrong is going to be done to you. And you know, when God promises you something, you can take that to the bank. This is it. So here it is. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jewish people, before Paul even talked, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, 
there will be reason why I should hear with, uh, bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourself, for I do not want to be the judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. And then all the Greeks took uh, Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. And then he took leave of the brethren and sailed to Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. So we know that when God told him, don't worry, everything is going to be okay. And there are many people in this city. We know that Paul decided to stay. And to stay, of course, in the city for about a year and six months. And all of that is why? Because he listened to the voice of God and not to the voice of men. In all your ways, acknowledge God and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And that is the message that Paul had in his mind. I don't need to rely on my own wisdom. I need to rely on God's wisdom. So, we understand something very important. A city full of wicked people, full of adulterous people, full of prostitution, full of, 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 of all types of, of, of vices, right here. God is telling Saul, Paul, stay here. I have many people in this city. I'm trying to think to myself, isn't that the heart of God by just sending Jesus to this world to begin with? God loves the whole world. God does not need you to be perfect before he will decide if he loves you or not. Because he loved us first, we love him. Not the opposite. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and thousand years one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise to what? To take us out of here, as some count slackness, but He's long-suffering towards us, but not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All means all. In John 3, the famous word, John 3.16, continues also, not only that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Paul did not come to this city to preach condemnation, but to preach salvation. Of course, if you, repent, if you reject the message of salvation, then you bring upon yourself condemnation. But when these people never heard that message, it wasn't about the condemnation that Paul needed to preach. It was about salvation. God loved them. He wants them. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light 
because their deeds were evil. For everyone practiced evil, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, and that they have been done in God. He is trying to tell these people, repent. God loves you. He sent his only begotten son. He wants you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. He wants your attention. And Paul stayed right here. He knew, I must dare to share. Dare to share. It's something I really love. You never know. I want to tell you something. You never know. You come to a person, you put your hand on him and you, you give him a good word. You just don't know what went what was going on in his life, what went through his mind right now. Maybe he's, he's thinking, you know, my life worth nothing, nobody loves me. Maybe he needs to be reminded of the love of God. Maybe he needs to know because he never heard of such a thing. Maybe he is waiting for such an encouragement and you're the one. You just never know. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 5, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, he says. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up from themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Isn't that amazing? We are called, men and women, young or old, to tell the great story of the one who brought us from darkness into his marvelous light. We are not to keep our mouths shut. We are not to hide our... You know, people think about how Peter denied Jesus. And he said, I do not know the man. But I'm telling you, you don't have to say, I don't know him to deny him. You just don't have to say that you know him and you already denied him. And this is the sad story. And I want to encourage all of you, wherever you are, in your workplace, in your family, that's the family God gave you. In, 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 in school, wherever you are, you are there for a reason and for a season. Just as Paul was here for a reason and a season. And you know what? He never really asked Paul, hey Paul, what about staying? Or, or how about leaving? No, God told him, you, you should stay. As long as you do what you need to do, I'll take care of you. And it's not going to be easy sometimes. But you will do my work. You're here for a reason and for a season. Preaching the word of God is not for preachers only. Preachers, I always say, have the easy thing. They preach the word to those people who already know the word. But it's, it's the, it, the most noble thing is if you sit with someone and tell him one-on-one -on -one, how come you became a believer. Your own testimony is more powerful than anything else. And it's interesting because Paul considered not preaching 
running the race in vain. He says in Galatians 2.2, And I went up by revelation and I communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. He was afraid to run this race. This life will be meaningless if I don't share the gospel. And I want to conclude this message with one thing. Do not ever underestimate the power of sharing even with one person. He might turn out to be the greatest evangelist of all people and lead many to Christ. You just don't know. All I know is one thing. The people that God put on the path of your life are people that you are meant to see, be with, and talk to, and encourage. Opposition is part of the deal. But remember Psalm 145 talks about how the Lord is the one who encourages and lifts you up. Remember, turn to God and He will guide you and He will be there for you and He will lift you up and He will be there to encourage you. Not men, but God. So I want to remind you that even in your city, God has many. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.